This is Werewolf the Podcast. Imagine. Imagine Atlantic City. Imagine HLGCon. The boardwalk. The beach. The hotels. The casinos. Imagine an old hotel renovated, restored, open to the public in a way it never was before. Now imagine a series of quirky, intense, and interesting event rooms. Imagine the coolest bar you've ever wanted to host a LARP in. And that's the showboat. HLGCon is happening October 12th through the 14th of 2018 in the Showboat Hotel and Resort in Atlantic City. We'll have LARP, tabletop, board games, and more. We've struck a deal with several LARP studios to run a blockbuster LARP, Pandemonium, that'll be unlike any other event in 2018. Find us on the web at hlgcon.com. Come join us. Imagine it, and we'll make it a reality. Imagine this. People live under the earth in a cave-like dwelling, stretching a long way up toward the daylight, and it is its entrance, toward which the entire cave is gathered. The people have been in this dwelling since childhood, shackled by the legs and neck. Thus, they stay in the same place so that there is only one thing for them to look at, whatever they encounter in front of their faces. But because they are shackled, they are unable to turn their heads around. Some light, of course, is allowed them, namely from a fire that casts its glow toward them from behind them, being above and at some distance. Between the fire and those who are shackled, there runs a walkway at a certain height. Imagine that a low wall has been built the length of the walkway, like the low curtain that puppeteers put up over which they show their puppets. So imagine that all along this low wall people are carrying all sorts of things that reach up higher than the wall, statues and other carvings made of stone or wood and many other artifacts that people have made. As you would expect, some are talking to each other as they walk along, and some are silent. This is a reflection of the universe. From Plato's The Republic Welcome to Werewolf the Podcast. I am your host, Josh Heath. Today, we are going to be reviewing Umbra, The Velvet Shadow. This is a first edition Umbra book. It appears that most of the Umbra books for... 1st, 2nd, Revised, and 20th Anniversary Edition include the additional The Velvet Shadow in their name in some form or another, and we'll be talking about why in a couple of seconds, but just want to point out that if you're looking for this book on RPG or the Storyteller's Vault or online even, that you've got to be very careful about which book you're getting, because if you're not careful, you're going to end up doing what I did and actually picking up um, another version of this book, which isn't a problem. I'll be reviewing that later, but it did cause some issues with getting this review put together. That said, this book was published in 1993. It is the second to last of our first edition reviews. We're going to be reviewing the Werewolf Player's Guide next, and then we're going to be doing two episodes after that. The first episode is going to be focused on storytelling in the first edition of Werewolf the Apocalypse. 
and the second episode is going to be focused on talking about some of the concepts of Werewolf and how you might integrate those into later games or just talking about some of the elements of the game in general and seeing how that how that plays out and what that looks like and things like that. That said, I might tie those two episodes in together, but that's the plan at the moment. So this book, though, Umbra, published in 1993, written primarily by Daniel Greenberg and Harry Heckel, with some work by Heather Curatola, Alan Fisher, Robert Kaminsky, and Jonathan Sill. The art in this book is by Steve Carter and Antoinette Ryder, Byron Wackwitz, Jeff Rebner, Dan Smith, Lawrence Allen Williams, and James J. Holt. There are some maps in here uh, that were created by Eric Hotz, and the cover art was by George Pratt. There are a few other people that are involved in some of the uh, typesetting layout and logos. Um, They're all wonderful, uh, but we'll leave it at that for now. So what is this book? Well, this book is a description of the Umbra from the lens of werewolves, and uh, through the lens of Werewolf the Apocalypse in particular. The Umbra is a concept that comes to us through several sources, including but not limited to Greek concepts of a world of perfect entities. Plato has this concept, and I won't dive too deeply into philosophy, but Plato had this concept that the ideal of any object in the real world, that there's an ideal for every object within the the real world. So there is the perfect chair in the universe. And every chair that we interact with and that we see is simply a reflection of that perfect chair. And these sorts of concepts go from the physical all the way to the emotional, moral ideals. And effectively, The Umbra is the world where those ideals exist within the world of darkness. There is the real world, the material plane, the world we see around us. And then the Umbra is a universe of its own that's separated from the world by a velvet curtain, by a velvet shadow. By the gauntlet, which is a physical and spiritual barrier to the Umbra. Umbra, the Velvet Shadow, describes that universe, that place of ideals, that place of spiritual significance. The history of the Umbra is that the real world and the Umbra at one point were the same place, and there was no separation between the spiritual and the real world. But now today, because of actions that have been taken by the various entities in the world of darkness, there is a separation between the spiritual world and the physical. And so werewolves live in an interesting world where they can travel into the Umbra and they also have to deal with the ecological disasters of the real world. And they have to balance out going between the real world and the Umbra to fix the disasters that they see around them. Because some of the disasters are not just caused by man-made entities or powers or actions. Some of them are actually caused by the worm and the spirits, the banes that support the worm, that work for the worm. So that's the kind of strange dichotomy that the werewolves live in. And this concept of an, of an other world or of a world reflection of our own isn't just present in Greek mythology. It's present in lots of European mythology 
It's present to some degree in Native American traditions. It's present in African traditions to some degrees. It's present in traditions within Aboriginal Australia as well. So this type of thing has reflections in most of human society. There are some things in certain Asian cultural traditions that are similar to concepts of the other world, the Umbra, and the writers of uh, these books kind of took all of those things and sort of mashed them together. But if you were to look at particularly concepts of platonic ideals and um, concepts of the other world in Irish mythology, you have a pretty solid idea of what the Umbra looks like, acts like, it's sort of related to. This book, um, I want to point out, is designed for Werewolf the Apocalypse, but there's overlap between Werewolf and Mage the Ascension. And Mage had just come out, its first edition had either just come out or was just about to come out when this book was published. So this is a book that crosses over a little bit between those weird spiritual connections that Werewolf and Mage have. And those two games often that's where they cross over is this connection to an other world worldly spiritual plane and both mages and werewolves get there go there for different reasons particularly werewolves go there to fight the worm to travel and mages generally go to the umbra to gain more knowledge to gain more enlightenment to find things that have been hidden um, in the past or in the future, because mage plays with time here and there. The point is that the Umbra can be practically anything you want it to be in your games. You can connect it to specific cultures. You can connect it to concepts of the hero's journey. You can connect it to Alice in Wonderland. You know, things that are a twisted uh, both positive and negative reflection of the real world that we see around us. And so that gives you a lot of opportunity to do a lot of things with the Umbra. And so far, I haven't even really talked much about this book, but I'm telling you all of these things because I think they're important for understanding the importance of the Umbra to this game. It can really be a deeply important religious sort of experience for the characters journeying through the Umbra. So you want to take umbral storylines in your game very seriously. I'm not saying you need to be sober with them, but they should be serious. They should be meaningful. They should have some deepness to them. You should never just kind of gloss through them. So this book is separated into four official chapters, an appendix, a list of charms, and an introduction and a story. So it starts with a story about traveling into the Umbra, some of the dangers and wisdom of doing so. And I actually think that story is pretty good. And for first edition, I'd say pretty good is worth at least like, hey, this is probably a five out of 10 on the opening stories list. So one that I would enjoy, one that I suggest you look into, then you go into an introduction. Then there's chapter one, cosmology, chapter two, geography, and chapter three, denizens. And the final chapter is encounters. So cosmology, you know, focus specifically on how the Umbra is set up, how the Garu interact with it. Geography talks about specific realms in the penumbra 
the middle umbra and the deep umbra. And we'll talk about what those are in a few minutes, but um, suffice it to say, those are the basic structure of the umbra. And then you've got an entire chapter on spirits and creatures and things like that that live within the umbra. And then there's some stories in here that they say, okay, here are some plot hooks, here are some suggestions on stories that you could tell in this book. I think the introduction in, in, in this particular book is what you see in more of the mage books. You have a long lexicon, you have different uh, concepts, themes, mood, things like that, that you're going to be connecting with in this game. Useful, you know, there's nothing in there that I would stop and say, oh, yeah, you have to talk about X, Y, and Z, but it's helpful to reference the lexicon in particular if you're getting into the later chapters and you're like, I don't know what a shard realm is, or I'm not sure what X, Y, and Z is. You can find it there and get some details on it. So cosmology talks about some of those things that I talked about. It talks about the idea of spirit and reality and what that means and what that means for werewolves. In particular, werewolves have to keep both sides of themselves basically whole. And they have to do that by interacting with the spirit and interacting with the physical world. And they have to continually do that or they're going to lose connections one way or the other to the other. So werewolves have to travel into the umbra to continue to have that spiritual connection. Werewolves cannot stay in the umbra because if they do so, they will eventually be caught up and pulled into the spirit world and become spirits themselves. And they'll lose their connection to the real world. And they don't want that. Werewolves don't want that. Their entire thing is being the protectors of Gaia. They can't leave her. And they see the umbra as places farther away from her. Scrolling through, you know, some of this art, it's decent. Uh, I wouldn't say the art in this particular book is my favorite of any of these earlier books, but it's evocative. It certainly makes me think of umbral travel and stories that could be told in the umbra. I think some of the later books are really wonderful for that. Some of the mage books in particular have amazing art that is way more thematically um, interesting and engaging. And I would recommend you check those out if you're going to be using like descriptions or pictures in your game to show your players, you know, this is the, the place that you're in. So that's chapter one, really. It's a pretty quick chapter, um, but it gives you some of those different things to talk about. Then geography talks about these different places in the umbra. So there are three major zones. The penumbra is the area right next to Earth. It is a direct reflection in most ways of the universe that we see around us. It's a, um, a darker but also more light sort of place. There is both a constant light from Helios, the sun, and a constant light from Luna, the moon, within the Umbra. So it's a dangerous place for vampires. If you ever want to bring vampires into the Umbra, they're probably not going to survive, but that's for an entirely different story. <laughs> We're not going to dive into there. But the penumbra is the close reflection of the Umbra into the world. And in the penumbra, you usually see the touches of the worm, the worm and the weaver on the world. In cities, you're going to see net spiders and masses of webs and different things that are designed to create and um, sustain stasis for the weaver. You're going to see 
uh, scrags and banes and other pollution uh, spirits that live and work for the worm, and they're going to be going about their business within the Umbra. You're also going to see spiritual reflections of positive things, of wild spirits and like Gaian spirits, spirits of animals, spirits of trees. All of the kind of creatures of the world have spiritual reflections, and those spiritual reflections are more active, more alive, more able to engage with the intelligent werewolves while they're in the Umbra. So there's a very animistic feel to the penumbra. And then there is, from there, the middle umbra. And the middle umbra is a series of different worlds, or you might refer to them as realms, which is what they refer to them in the game as. And these places are specific zones or specific islands of ideas, of concepts, um, with that exist within the umbra. And there are a few different ways of getting to them. One way is through moon bridges. Moon bridges actually will potentially connect to the middle umbra, but they specifically go to the ethereal realm, which is part of the deep umbra. We'll get into that a little bit, but that specifically would touch on the universe, uh, the close kind of solar system to the world, which have connections to Gaia. So if you wanted to travel to Mars, there's a way to do that. There's an entire book about the ethereal realm and a story that connects to that kind of thing. So we're not going to dive into that too much, but there is a lot in this particular book that emphasizes like these are the types of things you will see in these different places as you're going through the different realms, as you're traveling through the Umbra in particular. And I think that's really helpful. It makes this particular version of the Umbra book, because it's so uh, precise and so specific about explaining what certain things are, it gives it a little bit more value in some ways in some of the older books. It's not as well written as some of the um, other uh, more revised W20 books uh, for the Umbra, but it's still interesting. There are... 13 near realms there are probably more there are going to be more they keep creating more in different books but at the beginning there are 13 and it's supposed to be a reflection in some ways of the 13 tribes and the concept of 13 within the world of darkness so those 13 realms are the abyss the ethereal realm and that's where it gets weird because the ethereal realm is listed in here as a near realm but in a lot of ways it's a um, it's a connection to the deep umbra and most of the ethereal realm exists within the deep umbra if that's confusing it's because it's a little bit confusing in how it plays out as a concept there's the Arcadia gateway and this is a connection to um, changeling and um, the concepts of fey now this is prior to changeling coming out as a game even first edition so this connection to that is a little bit early, um, and it shows it shows throughout um, the entire werewolf sort of connection to the Fae um, that this is early, and they never really kind of change it. They just say, yeah, that's the way the werewolves view it. There's the Atrocity Realm. The Atrocity Realm is a place where werewolves literally can see the atro any atrocity that's been committed in the world, and others are committed there. There's the Battleground, and the Battleground is said to be where the battle of the apocalypse will eventually occur but it's also where every single war ever can be replayed so the battleground offers an interesting story 
location where werewolves can potentially go to, see how an actual battle went, and maybe get a fetish back or um, discover something that was a secret about a battle that occurred um, that you know no one knew because everyone died or something like that. There's lots of interesting things you can do to connect the battleground to different games that you're running. There's a cyber realm, and the cyber realm is place connected to uh, computers and the internet. It's basically a spiritual manifestation of the internet. Now, remember, this came out in 1993, so it's a very cyberpunk, oh, Tron sort of uh, location in this early age of the internet. But it's still, it's still there. It's interesting. It's something you can play with if you want to. Then there's Erebus. Erebus is like the... It's hard to describe. It's a realm where Geru go to have their sins burned out of them. So if perhaps a werewolf had fallen to the worm, you could bring them to Erebus and dunk them in a lake of molten silver, and eventually the worm taint on them will burn away. So it gives an opportunity, it gives a good story reason to potentially cleanse a particularly bad Black Spiral Dancer who becomes an ally, or it gives you an opportunity if a player goes down a dark direction for them to atone for those transgressions through pain and purification, which is kind of interesting. There's a, there's a wild realm called the Flux, and it's literally a realm where everything is constantly in flux. I find Flux to be rather boring as a realm, but if you wanted to, you could have Geru travel to the Flux, and potentially their being there allows them to call a specific thing into being. So it would be a great way if there is no way for a specific fetish or <clears throat> a magical object of some sort to be created. Perhaps it could be created in the realm of Flux. There's the legendary realm. The legendary realm is a it's a, a hidden world. Dinosaurs still exist, Pangea type of place, but it's specifically legendary. It's not the reality of Earth in the past, and because of that, it's it's kind of weird in that it um, speaks to those stories and those kind of. Robert E. Howard's types of stories about legends and things like that. I have some frustrations with those hidden world um, types of stories, but I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with this concept in Werewolf. Then there's Pangea, and this is where it gets weird because there are three places that are really, really similar to each other. The legendary realm, Pangea. Pangea is actually the memory of Gaia about what the world was like prior to the Impergium, prior to the Weaver going crazy and, and trapping the worm. Pangea is what the world, quote-unquote, was supposed to look like, according to Gaia. Now, this is a great tie-in if you want to have werewolves go and interact with you know, their spiritual ancestors or something like that, but it gets kind of confusing because there's a place called the summer country and the summer country is a kind of beautiful perfect reflection of what Gaia is supposed to be so there's these three places the legendary realm pangea and summer country 
and they're all kind of similar. They potentially you can travel between them, but they're all distinct realms. They have different focuses. They uh, mean different things to werewolves. Then there's Wolfholm, and Wolfholm is uh, a place where all Garu immediately become wolves, and they have to live like wolves. And often in Wolfholm, they're hunted by hunt- human hunters and things like that. It's a good way for glasswalkers or other werewolves that don't have a major connection with their lupus selves to learn what it means to be a wolf. And that's kind of how it's used in a few different stories. Then, and I actually did these out of order, but then there's a place called Scar. And Scar is a reflection of the worm's, you know, industrial revolution sort of harm to the world. It's a... Dickensian nightmare sort of future, current time frame um, sort of place run by weaver creatures and tainted um, worm creatures and tainted weaver spirits. It's definitely an interesting location. Scar is a great place to bring your players into if you want to have a little bit of a wicked city or you know nightmare Holocaust and Holocaust like used in the industrial sort of sense feel of a place. It's uh, the worst sort of manifestations of capitalism and things like that. So that's a general overview of the different realms. You know, each of these um, sections gets into specifics about the different realms. It gets into story options. It gets into laws of the different realms, specifically like what sort of things you're allowed to do within them and what sort of things will get spirits mad at you or what sort of things the realm prevents you from doing because some of the realms have an impact on um, your power and things like that. There are some interesting NPCs, some some fetishes, some rites, and some other disciplines, not disciplines, uh, gifts that are presented in these as well. So there's lots of cool stuff, you know, in each of these different sections. And most of these in one book or another do get fleshed out more. So that's good to know that, you know, this isn't going to be the end story for most of these. That said, I do think there are some things like I described before that are explained a little bit more directly in here than they are in other versions of this book. I think the Arcadia Gateway is very under-described in anything that I've read up until this point, and this book came out way before most of the other books that I've read. So I think for that, it's worth it for diving into something that's focused on Changeling and the Fae. If you want to play in that realm with your werewolf characters, or if you want to pull any of that into your Changeling games, this might actually be a good resource to do that. And all of the chapters have about six to seven pages on um, the different things within them. Some of them are a little bit longer, some of them are a little bit shorter, but there's more than enough here for you to tell dozens or more stories of each of these individual realms. The other thing is after those different realms, it gets into the tribal homelands. And these are both kind of like places where the dead of each of these tribes go, 
but also where you know some of the stories and myths of the different tribes sort of live. There's a presentation of all of the spiritual homelands, including the Black Spiral Dancers, the Croatan are here. I believe the Croatan were mentioned in an earlier book. I think I mentioned that, but um, this is the first time that I'm like, oh, hey, there's even more information about them. And they don't get a lot of, uh, of word count until you get into revised edition. Um, but it's interesting to note that there's some more here on the Croatan if you want to kind of collect all the information on that tribe that's potentially presented in the different books. There's also a description on smaller spaces within the Umbra, you know, what those might be, what they might look like. There are mini realms. Uh, Mini realms might be as small as a specific creature that lives within them and that has um, a different impact. There are sub-realms within some of the bigger realms, like in Pangaea, there's a place called Land of the Dinosaurs. Within and kind of connected to the cyber realm, there's a place for television. I would imagine today there's a place for Facebook or Twitter or other social media places as well. Those would be reflections within um, the Umbra, those places would exist. There's also things like the Mirror Zone, now, this is a really weird thing. It's like almost like a hidden door within the universe where you can see anything on the other side. And you could potentially travel to anywhere in the universe through the mirror zone. There's also the null zone. And that's a place where there's nothing. But it's a nothing, again, kind of like the mirror zone that's connected to everything. And this gives you some interesting like things to play with if you want to move your characters from one you know major location to another. You can do so through pulling in these you know these zones, this mirror zone or the null zone. And what does that mean? Why are they there? What are the deeper purposes of something like this? You can play with all those sorts of concepts with that. There's also the dream zone. And the dream zone is a little bit of a proto-dreaming from uh, changing the dreaming, but it's also a little bit different because it falls totally within the werewolf sort of cosmology. So if you want to connect concepts of the dreaming and the dream zone together, you can do so. There are um, you know more information here that you can dig into if you wanted to do that. The third chapter of this book is Denizens of the Umbra, specifically about different spirits. And the spirits, as I mentioned before, are either reflections of natural things or they're reflections of, of quote-unquote unnatural things that still continue to exist in the Umbra. All of the different totems live within the Umbra, so players could quest to go and find one of the totems. They could go and try to meet Grandfather Thunder, or they could go and try to meet Unicorn or Rat or any of these different major totems, they could go and search these out. Or they can search out smaller manifestations of these spirits as well. Supposedly, and how it's described, is there are different um, emanations of the different Celestines and the Incarna as well. So the Weaver could, you could potentially have players travel to where the Weaver's webs actually are. 
I try to avoid those sorts of stories. I think they're a bit. I think they're a bit disruptive. I don't think they add much, and you could really just say, "Oh, the weaver kills you, and you're done." And I don't think that's interesting. Um, I think you can play with those sorts of things if done well, but I try to avoid those specific. Like you're going to where these this great power in the universe exists. I just don't think that's very interesting. You've got a list of suggestions of where you can find worm creatures. It specifically says go to Book of the Worm for that rather than this book. And I think that's absolutely right. That's where you should go. The fourth chapter is about storytelling. It's about storytelling, specifically in the Umbra, obviously. So different ideas. And I've been talking about some of these as we've been going through this. But, you know, what sort of stories would you tell in the Umbra? You know, would you fight against the wild, the weaver, the worm. There's some suggestions for doing all three of those things. Uh, the idea of gaining rank by going on a spiritual journey, exploration. There are potentially lost cairns in the Umbra that could give you a seed to bring a cairn back to the world. Or you might find spirits or creatures that are uh, dead in the real world but still exist in the Umbra, like the bunyip or the um, at this point in the storyline, the were coyotes, the um, Nuisha, haven't come back to the world. So this could be something you could do: is the werewolves could go out and look for the were coyotes within the Umbra and try to bring them back to the world. Players might go on a rite of passage or a vision quest or other sorts of stories that you could dig into. But there are literally, um, okay, maybe not literally, but there are a ton of different concepts here that you could dig into if you wanted to look at this and say, okay, what sort of stories do I want to run? There are specific suggestions for storytelling in some of the individual realms that are a little bit difficult to deal with. There's a whole list in the appendix. There's an entire list of different gifts that you can add to your game. Some of these get added in some later books and some later editions, but I think it's helpful if you are running a first edition game to find them here. There are some fetishes that are here, some talons, and there's more information on the weaver, which is probably the first time that I can remember, like, okay, there's something about the weaver here that's pretty distinct, pretty uh, in-depth. You've got information on the different NPCs that are presented throughout the book and all those sorts of things. I like the NPCs in here. I know that's odd for me, but there's not a single one of these that I don't think is interesting in some way. So I would definitely say if you want to dig into it and look into these, this would be a good book to pull some powerful NPCs that would be hiding behind the scenes a lot into a game. And you can use them to steer characters within the Umbra, if that's something you're interested in doing. There's a list of charms and their effect. And this is helpful for me, for something that I'm working on at the moment. Um, and it's not the only kind of list of charms that's in any of the werewolf or the mage books, but it's good to have that sort of thing there. So... That's been my review of Umbra the Velvet Shadow, the first edition Umbra book for Werewolf the Apocalypse. It's a good book. I think I would give it probably like a 6 out of 10 rating. There are updates to this. I might lean people toward getting the W20 Umbra book, but I've got to be honest, I actually haven't read that. It's one of the few 20th anniversary edition books that I haven't picked up yet. 
Um, there are a couple of vampire ones I haven't done that with either, but I just haven't had a chance to get all of them. And it's one of the ones that's on my list to eventually get. And obviously, when I get to review it, I'll definitely have to have a copy by then. But for now, I would say if you want to go out and grab Umber the Velvet Shadow for first edition, it certainly wouldn't be a bad purchase. I just want you to know that there are other revised versions of this and it may not be everything you want it to be. No, it's certainly not a bad book either. This has been the Werewolf the Apocalypse review of Umber the Velvet Shadow. I am your host, Josh Heath, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Hello, folks. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts or just media in general that deals with your favorite white wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded, one which wouldn't be drowned out by random posts and discussion so that your media could get the attention you want? Well, we have the answer for you in a Facebook group we run called White Wolf RPGs Gameplay and Media. The group is specifically ran with the sole intent of it being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. We are currently over 1,000 members strong, and we are continuing to rapidly grow with new media being shared every day. Stop on by! We hope to see you there.